Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Global Hedge Fund Benchmark Study Podcast Series. I'm Fiona Treble. I'm Global Head of Membership at AMA. And with me today, I have Sarah Crabb from Simmons and & Simmons and David Muley from Seward & Kissel. Uh, we're all committed as organisations to supporting the hedge fund industry. Uh, Seward & Kissel, Simmons & Simmons and AMA have combined forces to explore the latest insights from across the alternative investment industry. And the overall intention of this study was really to look at the health of the hedge fund industry. Um, I'd just like to say now we're very grateful to all the fund managers and investors who took the time to participate in this study, for sharing their perspectives with us, the very many interviews that we conducted with them. Thank you all very much. And from this piece of research, um, we're doing these podcasts and we've decided to highlight six key takeaways um, around performance, fundraising, fees, sustainability, digitalization, and looking ahead. Um, today, we're going to be focusing on fundraising. Now, I spend a fair amount of my time speaking with IR professionals at our manager member firms. Um, at, certainly at AIMA, we focus on some of our work, making sure that we're looking after their requirements. And I've been speaking to a lot of, a lot of those people over the last sort of 15 months, and they've obviously done a great job. Um, and that sort of sounded out in one of the key findings of the Global Hedge Fund Benchmark Survey is that investors are increasing their allocation to hedge funds or at the very least maintain, maintaining them. Now, I think it's probably pretty obvious to say a large part of that's down to good performance. But starting with you, Sarah, what do you think are the other reasons that um, investors are remaining interested in, in um, hedge funds? Thanks, Fiona. So, um, so of course, you mentioned performance, and that is uh, is a key factor as to why um, hedge funds are seeing um, such inflows at the moment. And I think I think that is important because um, they've really shown resilience against equity markets in the past year when there's been such market turmoil. So, I think that's really reinforced that it's it's really good for investors to have hedge funds. Um, in their portfolio, um, it's really demonstrated their place. And are you seeing anything different in the US, David? No, I, I think that's, I think Sarah's very much uh, correct about that. I, I think the only thing I would add and, you know, where I see, you know, some additional inflows coming in are that managers, um, you know, are able to offer products that, uh, investors aren't easily able to replicate um, through other means. So, you know, you can't sort of just go out and and get an index that would replicate sort of the, the investment opportunities that a lot of these managers are able to put together in their portfolios. Um, and we see that both with respect to sort of flagship funds that, um, um, that may be... Um, you know, with a broader investment mandate, but also with respect to special purpose vehicles or sort of one-off um, funds that are focused on particular investment theses. Okay, thank you for that. So despite the fact that we've observed that investors are continuing to allocate their increasing allocations 
maintaining them. I thought it was particularly interesting that the survey identified capital raising as one of the top internal challenges that managers felt they'd be coming up against. And now that was the second highest concern after delivering performance. So why do you think that is? It seems slightly contradictory to actually what we're witnessing in, in, in the marketplace, David. Yeah, I think that, I, I guess there are potentially two, two explanations. Um, one is that people may still be somewhat um, scarred by, um, you know, outflows of the in, from the industry, um, you know, during other periods of, of turbulence. Um, and so, you know, even when things are good, you're sort of always thinking about what you can do to uh, protect your business and make sure you sort of have adequate assets going forward. Um, and I think that that plays into the second part of it, which is, um, you know, unless you have sort of a very uh, capacity constrained strategy, um, you know, growing your business and sort of being able to pay your employees and, and deploy the capital is sort of the lifeblood of your business. So even when things may be going well, it would still be in an area that you're sort of focused on, worried about, and, and sort of always trying to improve. Um, and, and as part of that, do you also think, um, I think a lot of people uh, last year tapped into their pipelines? Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're 15 months into this pandemic. We're seeing, as we were speaking about earlier, um, we're seeing London and New York and, and big cities opening up, but n nowhere to the extent that they were before. Do you think perhaps there's a little bit of anxiety around, well, you know, um, there's only so m many times I can go back to the well with those particular investors. I need to be developing a new pipeline, but that's not really that easy um, when I'm still sitting at home or I can't travel around. I don't know whether you have a view on that, Sarah. Yeah, ab absolutely. I think that's definitely um, a factor that will have contributed to uh, to those uh, people that were surveyed who did think that um, capital raising is a big issue um, for for their businesses. And and like you say, I mean, we're 15 months in. Um, there's lots of uh, lockdowns, travel restrictions, and um, yes, there have been a lot of DD meetings that have taken place online, um, virtually on Zoom. Um, but you can't really um, replicate the in-person experience. So I think um, for uh, new managers in particular, it's been very challenging to raise capital. Um, because they just don't have the brand that the bigger managers have and they don't have that existing relationship with allocators. Um, so, I mean, we, we've definitely seen with some startup managers, especially those that are reliant on C capital, mm. that it's been um, uh, quite challenging for them to actually get the fund launched. Also, um, upcoming changes to regulation is, is going to make uh, capital raising more challenging. So uh, in the UK, for UK managers post-Brexit, marketing into Europe um, has got more difficult as, uh, as UK managers are no longer able to market easily into the EU from a licensing perspective. 
Um, I mean, for, for some, the EU27 isn't a huge source of capital, but for those UK managers who do want access to the EU, um, some are looking at tied agency models. And for all managers looking to market into Europe, the implementation of the cross-border distribution of funds directive and regulation, which is coming into force in the summer, uh, may pose challenges for marketing ACE into Europe, depending on your structure. Mm. And that kind of move, moves me on to my next question. And I know, Sarah, you have you, your practice um, focuses on digital assets, but you know, more broadly, uh, the digitalization of the industries. Um, help with portfolio and operational functions and, and and we have video conferencing and virtual data rooms and I can't tell you how many um, uh, webinars I've been on, on about ODD due diligence and how it is possible to do it remotely but you know will the virtual fundraising environment continue or do you think there will be a definite move towards meeting in person as soon as is possible. What are you seeing out there from your clients? Is there a reluctance to get back to some normality or, or are you seeing salespeople and other fund managers encouraging um, their teams to get out on the road? I mean, I think um, you know, as, as everyone has got used to the virtual environment, I think you know, these Zoom calls, they will continue. Um, and I think, you know, they can save time, they're useful. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, initial meetings, at least, that can be undertaken by a video conference. But I think really when you're wanting to build that rapport with um, between a manager and investor, you really want to meet someone. And I think it's it's quite difficult for investors to get a feel for the culture of a of of the of the firm um, over a video conference. So I think um, although I'm sure uh, there will be lots of virtual meetings that will continue, there will be a move to um, to meeting in person as soon as people can, especially because you know most managers have such a global investor base. And David, is, is that any different in the US from the US managers you're speaking to? No, I, I think the what's been interesting is just within, I would say, sort of the last two to three weeks, I've seen a lot more physical movement um, by IR folks and, and salespeople and allocators sort of moving around the country or I sort of hear, oh, so-and-so met with this person in, in this city. Um, so I, I think that um, there's, you know, maybe a, a pent-up desire to move off of Zoom and, and have, you know, actual sort of connections with people. Um, and so I've definitely seen a pickup on that. And, and like I said, it's really within the last few weeks. So um, I think that's probably a trend that that may very well be accelerating as we move into the summer and the fall. And as we all um, hopefully, um, if we can get our vaccinations sorted out. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, another interesting point that the survey threw up uh, was the real importance, and it was something we've discussed before, Ama, the alignment of interests between um, the fund manager and the investor. And it's going a lot further these days. It's more than just having skin in the game. Um, and 
we're, we're seeing um, interesting tailored solutions being offered. It's not just a case of we have one fund, these are the fees and you all go into it. I think there are very few funds, uh, companies that can enjoy that luxury of not having more complicated and more bespoke structures um, and also offering really interesting and imaginative fee structures. How important do you think it is to offer this flexibility in order to attract and, and maintain assets? Um, it feels that you have to offer more than just good performance uh, when you're selling product. David? Yeah, I, I guess I guess it's it's all on a range. I guess with, with with certain levels of performance, maybe you can be a little bit less creative. But um, I think that we are seeing, um, you know, both in terms of, you know, and we see it. I, I would say especially with respect to founders class shares, where managers are are launching, where. Um, you know, there, there's sort of a trade-off between sort of the long-term partnership between the manager and the investors and sort of a recognition that the manager needs to get off of the ground. So, you know, sometimes you'll see just sort of straight reduced fees for, for founders class shares, but we're also seeing more often, um, or more and more often, I should say, is that um, sometimes there'll be higher fees initially and then sort of a, a pretty steep ramp down of fees paid by the founders investors as the as the manager gets up to scale so that um, you know it allows the manager to build his business and sort of aligning interests and then incentivizes people to to stay invested with the manager for the, for the long term so that's certainly something we're seeing I think um, you know, in terms of um, incentive allocations, um, we haven't seen a ton of pressure, downward pressure in terms of incentive allocations, but depending on the strategy, um, you know, certainly you may be seeing hurdles that have to be met before, uh, before the allocation is paid. But in that case, I would say that's very sort of narrowly tailored to particular strategies where it would make sense. Um, and, and the biggest thing is just, you know, making sure you're talking with your investors and figuring out what their concerns are. And then you can come up with with solutions that um, that hopefully work for everybody. And Sarah, what are you seeing? Yeah, so, so similar to David, um, I think, um, you know, unless uh, your performance is absolutely phenomenal, then performance is not going to be enough um, to, to attract investors. I mean, it's, it's an extremely competitive landscape for raising capital. And there's there's a lot of products that are quite similar um, mm -hmm. out there. So I think, um, you know, managers um, are sort of under pressure to tailor their offerings. So as David mentioned, that could be in terms of fees. Um, so I agree, we haven't really seen that much downward pressure on performance, um, performance fees, because I think investors are um, willing to pay if, if the manager performs for them. But we are seeing downward pressure on management fees in particular. Um, and we're also seeing um, managers being approached more by strategic investors to launch bespoke products and managed accounts. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, that's something that a manager really needs to consider. I mean, even if there are 
um, you know, operational considerations to, to doing that. But I think if they do want to attract the capital from from the large investors, and they do need to be willing uh, to to create um, bespoke solutions for them. Mm. Out of interest, and um, I hope you've got some encouraging words for the next generation managers. And and we have a group at AMA where we're focused on on those folk. Um, are you seeing many seeding deals happening at the moment? Yes, yeah, so we are. We are still seeing seeding deals, um, but but as I said previously. Um, I mean, it, it's taken a long time for them to come to fruition, especially, you know, if they haven't actually been able to meet before yeah. before the pandemic in person. So they are happening. Um, but I, I'd say, you know, they're just taking a long, a long time to execute. David, does that resonate with you? It does. And I, I think, you know, particularly in the United States, I think, you know, there are more and more... Um, folks moving into the seeding space. Um, and so, you know, it's not unusual for me to be talking with the managers thinking about launching who's being approached by multiple seeders um, at the same time. So, you know, I've definitely seen an uptick in seeding activity, um, but Sarah is right. I think that it's, um, um, the runway is is often long, and um, I would also say over the last eighteen months or so, I've also probably seen more seed deals, you know, start and then not move forward um, than I had earlier. And whether that's because people are working remotely or there are just more opportunities out there, uh, I'm not quite sure exactly what the explanation is. But seed deals are happening, taking a little bit longer, and and I am seeing a fair number that don't actually move forward. Okay, but it's encouraging, I think, for some of our newer and smaller managers to know that they are out there. I think there was a time when um, it didn't feel as though any seed deals were, or there were any seeding opportunities, which I think was quite frustrating um, for a lot of our managers. Um, so the final question, and we cannot get away from ESG, nor would we want to. <laughs> and I know you both have, uh, both of your organisations, Sims and Simmons and Seward and Kissel, have ESG practices. Um, as I said, we can't get away from ESG. Um, uh, whether it's consider ESG considerations at a firm level or if you're implementing those into your portfolio. Um, and it seems that a lot of this is, as, as with everything, driven by the client, driven by investor demand. Is it therefore a case of adapt or die for managers? Um, ESG is something that everyone has to be thinking of. Is that is that the correct assumption? I'll ask Sarah to comment in the first instance on this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, adapt or die, I think that's right. Um, I mean, like you say, it's driven by the client, by the investor. And I think, you know, there's just such a growing investor expectation that a manager will have at least considered ESG. Um, they might not be launching ESG-focused products, um, but they still need to have uh, demonstrate that they've considered it at manager level. I think it's increasingly a due diligence question that comes up. Um, and I think, you know, just generally there's, there's a real interest in corporate responsibility. So even if you don't have an ESG-focused product, um, 
investors want to know um, whether the firm has a firm level policy and what their objectives are around things like internal governance, diversity, gender balance and environmental impact. And also from the EU perspective as well, um, we've had the introduction of the EU Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation um, in March of this year. So that's really made um, European managers Um, have to start thinking about it and disclosing about it as well in their fund documents. David. Yeah, I think the managers are getting a lot more questions about it. I think Sarah is absolutely right that in a lot of ways they're looking for, you know, thinking about it at the manager level rather than necessarily sort of needing to have ESG focused investment strategies. Although, you know, I think there's definitely sort of a growing market for that as well. Um, you know, I, I they would take away my bar admission as a lawyer here in the United States if I didn't stress, though, that, you know, when I talk with clients, you know, one of the challenges is the divide between sort of what the IR people might want to say in terms of what the manager is doing on the ESG front um, versus what is actually being done or, or sort of can be proven to be done. Um, and so I think it's it's really incumbent upon managers when they're answering questions, um, because it does come up in due diligence quite a bit, to to make sure that they have sort of very clear ideas of what they're comfortable doing um, and are willing to do on an ongoing basis um, and make sure that sort of what you tell investors hues very closely to that because uh, here in the United States, the Securities Exchange Commission has has made a, a big point of focusing on ESG in, in a lot of different ways, but one of the ways in which they focused on it is making sure that the disclosure that companies and, and managers are making um, is accurate. So I, I think, you know, when when the SEC comes in for an exam, I, I would expect that's going to be something that they're going to start focusing on quite a bit more. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that we've heard at AIMA as well. Well, We are out of time, even though I think we could have spent a lot longer uh, talking about fundraising. So thank you both very much, David Muley from Seward and Kissel and Sarah Crabb from Simmons and Simmons. Um, If you'd like to know what's coming next, please look out for our third quarterly hedge fund confidence index measure that's going to be released in June. Thank you very much. Mm